Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. This is Vietnam, a Southeast Asian nation that is home to close on 100 million people. This rather picturesque nation is unfortunately only really remembered for one thing by most people. Sure, the nation was home to one of the most pivotal events in modern history, a war that has defined the global political and economic landscape to this very day, but it is so much more than that. Vietnam is one of the fastest growing economies in the world. In 2019, its growth was only beaten out by a select group of far smaller and far more unstable national economies. With a huge and very hard-working population, not to mention a powerful ally to its north, it could be the country to watch out for in the next 10 years. It is poised to make such a large impact on the global stage that its history will no longer be the first thing people think of when they think of Vietnam. But this success is by no means guaranteed. As with many other nations in the Southeast Asian region, it has many hurdles it needs to deal with to become a fair dinkum developed economy. The middle income trap, global trade hostilities, an increasingly competitive global market for manufacturing, oh, and if all of that wasn't enough, let's not forget a global pandemic and ensuing economic crisis to really spice up this obstacle course on their journey to success. All of these factors have made Vietnam a fascinating country to explore and use as a case study for some very intriguing economic questions. Foremost amongst these questions is a challenge to the assumption that all nations can become developed economies just so long as they embrace industry and free trade and free markets. So, what has been behind Vietnam's economic growth? What will the impacts of 2020 be to this economy? And perhaps most importantly, how will this nation break in to the developed nations club? Or could Vietnam go to prove that there is only so much room at the top of the global economy? This episode of Economics Explained was made possible by our fans on Patreon. If you would like to gain early access to these videos before they're uploaded to YouTube, as well as participate in exclusive Q&A sessions, which are now held every Saturday at 9.30 Eastern Standard Time, please consider supporting our channel at patreon.com slash economics explained. Economic curiosities aside, Vietnam also has a fascinating and very extensive history, by some estimates dating back as far as 3000 BC. But to really understand the economic situation of the nation in the modern day, we need to pick up the history book where everyone else puts it down, when the war came to an end. The Vietnam War was of course a very turbulent time for the then nations of Vietnam, where what was effectively a civil war between the communist north and the free market south was used as a stage by world superpowers to release the tensions of the Cold War. The war was long and devastating and left a trail of destruction in its wake. Factories were destroyed, cities burned, and countless lives lost. But we have seen this all before. Anybody who has watched our videos on South Korea, Japan, or Germany knows what comes next. The unified government enacted widespread construction efforts supported by their communist neighbours, which all helped to rebuild the nation. 
Factories were built, infrastructure was donated, and food production was able to flourish again now that the threat of Hueys weren't impacting the harvest. Sounds great, right? Well, it would. But it didn't happen. Actually, post-war Vietnam is one of the few nations in modern history to experience a sharp economic decline during a post-war recovery period. This was all down to a few key factors. For starters, its largest and most logical ally was China. They were both neighbouring communist nations that could go a long way to helping one another out. But there were some problems with this little match made in heaven. The first was that the newly unified Vietnamese government was strongly allied with the Soviet Union. And while technically China, the Soviet Union and almost all of the other communist states were cool with one another, it was kind of like choosing between a parent in a divorce. The other one is still going to love you, but just a little bit less. China saw Vietnam as a threat to its sphere of influence in the region, so wasn't super keen to help them get back up to fighting force. These mild tensions then boiled over when conflict broke out between Vietnam and Cambodia, just four years after the end of the American Vietnam War. Hao Gao Feng's Communist China and Pol Pot's Cambodia were very close allies at this time, so these hostilities sealed the deal that no help was going to come from China. Now the lack of foreign support and getting into yet another war certainly did not help the freshly unified nation, but perhaps its biggest problem was that of internal policy. Industry and commerce in the South had run off free market principles up until 1975, all of which came to an end after the unification of the nation. The business owners and workers who did not flee the nation after the end of the war were now working for the state under a heavy system of bureaucracy that favoured the North. It favoured the North because, well, while the nation was technically one, there was still a lot of animosity amongst the people that saw each other as enemies. The South also lost a lot of the support it was previously receiving from nations like the US, so many infrastructure projects just came to a complete halt. The destruction of functioning markets, another war, the lack of outside support, and a government desperately trying to string all of this together with fundamentally flawed five-year economic plans meant that Vietnam quickly became one of the poorest nations in the world. During the early 1980s, it had a GDP per capita of around 200 US dollars adjusted for inflation. For reference, there is no country on earth that is this poor today. Now of course, all of this started to turn around with the rollout of the Doi May. This plan loosely translated means renovation, and this was an apt description for this policy. It was a plan to transition the country from a centrally controlled command economy to a market-led, socialist-orientated economy. This was in a sense a way for the government to go, okay, this isn't working, but we are not going to completely knock down and rebuild our economic system, we are going to renovate it, you know? Throw on an extra bedroom, bathroom, oh, and maybe a free market system. This worked very well, but it wasn't happening in isolation. This whole plan started in the late 1980s, around the same time that the Soviet Union was not doing so great. This was a great opportunity for the nation to repair its strained relationship with China, who, all other things being considered, was probably a more logical ally for them to have. China at this time was rolling out similar reforms, in which they were slowly starting to introduce free market policies into their economy to boost innovation, trade, and industrial output. 
If you are interested in the mechanics of how this was done, go and watch our three-part series on the economy of China, because it goes into much more detail than we have time for here. Now, the economy of Vietnam has done well of its own accord, but it's no great secret that a lot of this growth has been achieved by piggybacking off the rise of China. And look, there is nothing necessarily wrong with this. A lot of nations have done very well off secondhand success from China. Look at Australia, for example. Our mining industry has been almost solely devoted to fueling the growth of this industrial powerhouse, and by extension, a lot of our economic success has come from our mining industry. Vietnam probably took this to a different level though. It blurred the line between sharing in China's success and being outright dependent on it. Vietnam has three main industries, agriculture, manufacturing and tourism. Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industries shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Vietnam is really good at growing difficult crops. Things like cashews, coffee, black pepper, but it doesn't have the landscape to truly benefit from industrialized farming that make more subsistence crops like wheat and rice possible to produce en masse. The solution is very simple. Produce these luxury crops and trade them with more developed farming nations like China. Same is true for manufacturing. Manufacturing is always a staple of rapidly developing economies. The low incomes of a large population mean that there is a good pool of unskilled labour to produce low-cost goods. But Vietnam lacked a lot of the infrastructure to manufacture even rudimentary electronics or industrial goods, so a majority of this sector is dedicated to producing clothing, which is not nearly as profitable as this higher-end manufacturing. Finally, there is tourism, which is a huge part of the economy. Unfortunately, it is still very heavily reliant on China. Up until recently, it must be remembered that for the average citizen of a Western country, the idea of going on holiday in Vietnam would have been just as crazy as going on holiday in North Korea. Sure, people do it, but it's rare. A customer base of tourists that didn't mind at all though were newly wealthy Chinese citizens who even to this day make up over 30% of the nation's tourism industry and contribute heavily to the country's casinos that operate almost entirely for these foreign gamblers. Actually, up until recently, these institutions did not let anybody in unless they presented a foreign passport because it was illegal to gamble in the nation unless you were a tourist. Despite all of these severe restrictions, some of these casinos were amongst the largest in the world, which all goes to show how dependent the nation really is on tourist dollars. Now, luxury produce, low-end manufacturing, and most of all tourism have not exactly been what you call growth industries in 2020. So, could the economic fallout of the coronavirus be the demise of this nation's leap for prosperity? One of the biggest threats to a nation going through a period of rapid economic growth is the middle income trap. This is what happens when a nation becomes wealthy and passes that wealth along to its citizens. This sounds like a good thing, but it can undermine the very industries that work to make it wealthy in the first place. 
if a worker becomes too wealthy, they will demand higher wages. Higher wages make manufactured goods more expensive, and suddenly, the nation will lose its job as the world's low-cost manufacturer to some other nation with a cheaper and more dependable labour force. A 2008 paper published by the Vietnam Development Forum noted that Vietnam would be particularly susceptible to this for a number of reasons. The first are its strong social policies. Now, there is nothing wrong with social policies in and of themselves necessarily, but in the case of Vietnam, it is working to raise the wealth of all workers more equally, which means in turn, there is less low-cost labour to use later on. There is a famous quote by Deng Xiaoping, who was the de facto leader of China during its period of rapid economic growth, and it roughly translated to, I hope all men get rich, but we are going to achieve this by letting some get rich first. A lot of people took this quote as a display of textbook corruption, but in reality, this was first translated and published by The Economist in 2001 when addressing the issue of the middle income trap. Even outside of that, Breaking through the middle income trap requires a bit of a run up and jump. An economy needs to grow very rapidly from its exports and then pivot to focusing on local industry before a cheaper competitor to its export industries can be found. In many ways, 2020 might have just swatted the nation out of the air mid-leap. But if becoming a developed nation is such a treacherous leap, is it one that all countries will make? Well, no, probably not. In the same way that Deng Xiaoping said that his nation would grow wealthy by allowing some people to grow wealthy first, a lot of economists had argued that there is only so much room for developed economies in the world. There are obvious complications, like the fact that if everyone on Earth lived like the average American, we would need four Earths worth of resources to sustain them all. But even if we assume that we lived in a world with almost limitless access to resources, there would still be a disparity. Their argument is that there is a clear and obvious distinction between developed economies and underdeveloped economies, and that is business. Think of any developed economy and you will most likely be able to think of a multinational that is headquartered there. When you think of any developing economy, it's a much more difficult task. Having strong multinational corporations works to produce wealth above and beyond what a nation would have been able to otherwise based on its own industrial potential. Nike, for example, makes shoes in Vietnam from plastics produced in China and then transport these shoes on Greek ships to the UK, where they are purchased. Throughout this entire process, the USA has not been at all involved. Although, when Nike turns a profit, it's the USA who benefits. Now sure, this type of global industry is a win for all of those involved. It's produced jobs and income to all of the nations that form this supply chain, but they did not win nearly as much as the US did. In many ways, developing economies are like the ambitious career-driven nations of the world, willing to put in the hours, work hard, get paid less than they're worth for years and years on end, in the hope that one day they will make it into the big leagues. Developed economies are the landed gentries. They have systems in place that they will bring in income without lifting a finger. Unfortunately, economies don't really run if everybody is contented to sit back and live off their laurels, which means there almost has to be a hierarchy of nations. Now this is a super interesting theory and probably a very controversial one. Let me know what you think. Could the global economy really accommodate a world full of developed nations? 
Okay, so now it's time to put Vietnam on our Economics Explained leaderboard. A leaderboard that I am petitioning the IMF to consider as a genuine benchmark of economic success. Right there alongside GDP and unemployment figures. Vietnam's economy is growing rapidly, but it is still not huge. With a GDP in 2019 of around 262 billion US dollars, it gets a 6 out of 10. GDP per capita is much the same. It has made massive improvements from where it was just a few short decades ago, but it is still a poor nation. With a GDP per capita of around 2,715 US dollars in 2019, it gets a 3 out of 10. Stability and confidence is a bit of a tricky one. The nation's recent history has been nothing if not turbulent, but it has been pretty consistent in recent decades. Even still, with its heavy reliance on China as well as industries that are particularly exposed to the economic fallout of 2020, it gets a 3 out of 10. Growth. Well, it's one of the fastest growing major economies in the world. It cannot get anything other than a 10 out of 10. And finally, industry. Well, as we have seen, it has been improving and it has been diversifying, but it is a long way from where it probably is hoping to end up, with a majority of its workforce still in non-industrial agriculture, it gets a 3 out of 10. So this gives the nation an average score of exactly 5 out of 10 and puts it in 5th place on our leaderboard. Vietnam is a fascinating economy for so many reasons, and despite all of the doom and gloom in our world today, and in fairness the criticisms discussed in this video, it's still a nation with tremendous potential. If history is any guide, and it usually is, it wouldn't be the first time a country has risen from the ashes of war to the upper echelons of the world's superpowers. Hi guys, I hope you enjoyed the latest video. If you did, please consider liking and subscribing. This video is made possible by our patrons over on Patreon, so if you enjoy these video, please consider supporting the channel like these awesome people did. Thanks guys. Bye. As a long-time foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for the New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts.